0: People forget about how efficiently run um, the Medicaid program is, and it, it might be the sample for uh, others to look to when when trying to design a system that isn't producing additional waste in our healthcare system or um, uh, rewarding bad incentives. Welcome to the ACO Show. Today Josh speaks with Dr. Emma Sando, a nationally known expert on Medicaid who currently works for North Carolina Medicaid and as a lecturer at Duke University's School of Population Sciences. Dr. Sandoe describes the history of Medicaid, the context in which it was created in 1965, and where it's gone since then. They discuss why Medicaid covers more Americans than any other health insurance program, but is still often neglected and misunderstood. You'll also learn about some of the challenges of trying to fit Medicaid into a value-based healthcare system, and what we might expect to change for Medicaid in the new presidential administration.
1: I'm glad to be joined today by Dr. Emma Sando. Dr. Sando is the Associate Director for Strategy and Planning at North Carolina Medicaid and also lectures at Duke in the School of Population Health Sciences. Welcome. Thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So you are a particular expert in Medicaid, so I'd love to to talk to you about that. Can you give us a little history lesson in the origins of Medicaid?
0: Sure. So one of the things that I think uh, is often overlooked, but really important for the understanding of why Medicaid is set up the way it is, is understanding the context of its origins. So Medicaid came into being as part of the Social Security Amendments or Medicare Act of 1965. And um, it was only 21 pages of about 300 page bill that um was often overlooked uh, the people that put it together didn't r- remember writing about it um the people that actually wrote the legislation itself um and it wasn't mentioned in the, the New York Times on the day of its passing or on the on the floor of the House of Representatives or the Senate um so it was often overlooked but uh it, the reason it's shaped the way it is was being run by jointly by the federal government and the states is because of the, the time period that it was enacted. So it was enacted at the same time as the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, and um, a lot of the, the powers um, that states had in controlling their social service programs and, and the way that they ran um, services for low-income individuals were being federalized. So um, in order to gain the support of some of the more um, southern states. States and more conservative members of the Democratic Party, the um, a compromise that was made was that states would continue to run the health insurance program for low individuals, low income individuals, uh, as Medicaid.
1: How many people are covered by Medicaid now?
0: So, <clears throat> at this very moment, we have seven million five hundred twenty-one thousand two hundred sixty-three. That is probably inaccurate because that's um, as of September, but it is about 75 million people are enrolled in Medicaid at this moment. But an important context to, to put into all that is that people churn in and out of the Medicaid program. Um, if you're a seasonal worker, for instance, you might be Medicaid eligible part of the year and then not other parts of the year. And at various points in people's lives, they can get on the Medicaid program when they're children or when they need long-term care services as an older individual. So 75
1: million people covered by it, which makes it, uh, I believe, the number one insurer in America, right?
0: That's true. One in every five Americans have Medicaid today.
1: So it sounds like even from the beginning, people didn't pay much attention to it. And even now, For the insurance plan that covers the most Americans, it's pretty remarkable how little is known about Medicaid. Is that partly because, as you say, people churn in and out of it so it doesn't really have a a standing group of people that it cares for? Uh,
0: That is part of the reason. Another part of the reason is that uh, the people that are covered by Medicaid are some of the most forgotten um, people in our political system and our general lives, uh, people with low incomes are often not given uh, as much thought in our uh, political discourse. Um, but also, people who receive Medicaid may not know uh, as much that they are beneficiaries of the Medicaid program. For example, um, in some states, Medicaid is called Medi Cal or MassHealth or um, Badger Care for instance, so you you might not know that that is part of the Medicaid program. And then you also get, in many states, a insurance card uh, from a private health insurer because Medicaid is run by many uh, managed care plans. So you may think that you have Blue Cross Blue Shield, but not necessarily know that that is a Medicaid plan.
1: So that's interesting. So Medicare, as we know, in, in some ways is politically untouchable. And it's not just because those are patients or people with more political clout, but also people with Medicare are more likely to know they have Medicare than people with Medicaid.
0: Right, and and definitely people over the age of 65 vote with a lot more regularity than um, the vast majority of Medicaid beneficiaries, which are under the age of 18. <laughs> so what are some of the benefits of, of having Medicaid? Um, so Medicaid has done so much in terms of I- improving health, and um, you, you can see all sorts of uh, research on cancer uh, diagnoses and uh, care for chronic conditions, et cetera. But I prefer to think of Medicaid as an insurance program because that's how we view all of our insurance is we, we see it through the lens of financial stability and how it affects a person's financial resources. So there's been so much evidence to show that people are less likely to go into bankruptcy or have other uh, medical related debt if they're a medicaid patient they're less likely to experience uh, severe financial distress and are more likely to experience uh, financial gain oftentimes as a result of being um, on medicaid so it serves a very important role of paying for very expensive services, which will give people access to healthcare um, to begin with. And, and then the healthcare system takes lead from there on. Um, but at the same time, uh, one of Medicaid's key roles is paying for services at the end of life. We won't necessarily see people who are at the end of their life and they need the safety net that Medicaid provides, you know, walk out the hospital door all the time. So the quality measures may appear low in comparison to their populations, but it serves that important role of being the, the safety net when people need it the most. And often that is at the end of their, um, their lives.
1: Medicaid obviously got very caught up in the political debates around the Affordable Care Act, also called Obamacare. Was Medicaid so controversial before that?
0: It has gone through various stages of controversy and certainly has been, um, especially at the state level, a source of political strife. But nothing near the national attention that 2017 showed on Um, the Medicaid program when there was an effort to block grant Medicaid and really transform the way that services are provided and really limit the services to Medicaid beneficiaries. The role of Medicaid and what it is there to do for beneficiaries really came into light and there was a better national understanding that it plays a very important role and is a, a political third rail since 2017. So it's really been that, that third rail re- more recently. But there's been, there has certainly been fight and controversy in Medicaid since the very beginning.
1: One of the important things that Medicaid does is its role in treating the opioid epidemic. Um, and it's always puzzling to hear politicians say they, they want to do everything they can against the opioid epidemic and then the next day vote against Medicaid. Uh, can you speak to how Medicaid ha- has been helpful in the role it plays in, in that
0: treatment? Sure. So Medicaid has a lot of levers for combating the opioid epidemic and uh, providing uh, necessary behavioral health and substance use disorder t- treatment and services. So Medicaid pays for uh, or medication-assisted treatment and for uh, other sources of psychosocial treatment for opioid use disorder and the reimbursement policies will change how many providers are there in order to serve the community. And Medicaid can play a really important role in the coordination of care between the various services that people with opioid use disorder may need um, and eliminate many of the barriers to treatment or OUD, as well as provide naloxone. But the thing that's really important is that A vast majority of the people that unfortunately suffer from opioid use disorder are uninsured or underinsured and would qualify for uh, the Medicaid expansion. And the the best way to uh, ensure that people will receive those treatments and services and will be able to combat their addiction is through giving them access to that service to begin with. And that that would be through Medicaid expansion.
1: Now we are talking a uh, relatively short time past the election, and we will uh, likely soon have a transition. Um, you know, not everybody agrees with that, but it looks like we will be having a transition of government. What do you see as different in a Biden administration around Medicaid?
0: So Medicaid has really been at the center for a lot of administrative actions to reduce the program. The um, Trump administration's budgets have made pretty severe cuts to the Medicaid program. Congress hasn't hasn't passed those cuts, but they're routinely proposed. I don't see those severe cuts proposed in a Biden budget proposal. The 1115 waiver authority, so that's the authority to go beyond what is allowable under Medicaid law, uh, under a demonstration, a short-term demonstration, Um, for states to apply certain authorities. There have been effort to encourage states to take up work requirements and to block grant the Medicaid program and other ways that reduce beneficiaries' access to care, um, whether that be through allowing states to not cover certain services, etc. That approach to 1115 waivers, I don't see likely to continue under a Biden administration.
1: The data does seem pretty clear now that work requirements didn't really do much beyond get people kicked off the rolls and people argue about whether maybe that was the intent all along. But could a Biden administration revoke those waivers that have already been granted? I know one was recently just granted in Georgia as well.
0: So, I don't want to pretend to be a lawyer and say something that there may be lawyers listening that would argue with. Um, so, what I would say is that 1115 waivers, who come before CMS regularly and um, need to get reapproved. So, that's one way that those policies can change. As well, we've seen uh, that work requirements have been overturned in the federal courts and only were briefly in place in Arkansas before being overturned and part of the um, the Department of Justice could change their their fight in that in in that in dropping some of those appeals for the worker requirements so uh, 1115 waivers wouldn't stand uh, any longer under a Biden administration potentially so that that's one one main avenue.
1: So in addition to um, no further proposed budget cuts and uh, not approving uh, work requirements that reduce the number of people who qualify for Medicaid, are there other ways in which you think Medicaid can be improved?
0: I think that this year has really shown us that there are significant historical inequities in our healthcare system and um, our general society health based on racial and ethnic lines and the Medicaid program really can be the leader on health equity because it serves so many disproportionately historically marginalized populations in particular, but also because Medicaid not only is an insurer that covers traditional clinical and hospital services, it can also cover many of the social services that people need in order to stay healthy and really buying health rather than um, just paying for healthcare. Is a really important way to reduce some of those social inequities that we have seen in our health and our healthcare program over the last well, over the it, it, since the beginning of our health healthcare system, but um, brought into light um, particularly because of the COVID pandemic. So whether that's improving access to care, changing some of the historical inequities in payment and provider. Um, reimbursement or a variety of other different initiatives to really bring into focus uh, the historical inequities in our system. Medicaid can really do a good job of being the leader in that front.
1: Now, Allidade is a company that helps groups of physicians form accountable care organizations and engage in other sorts of value-based care where the outcomes become more important than the fee-for-service treatment that's delivered. Do you have a sense of how Medicaid can best fit into outcomes based care or value based care?
0: So, Medicaid has uh, made some significant strides in moving to a more value based system. Uh, it's a bit trickier than some of the other insurers because uh, of the crucial role that Medicaid plays for very vulnerable populations. You might not necessarily see those quality indicators. Um, so, it, it's any value strategy you really need. To be tailored to the population that medicaid serves and the providers that serve medicaid beneficiaries such as pediatricians and uh, other providers that serve people with disabilities etc and so focusing on tailoring the value strategy is a really really crucial way to do value better
1: can you can you say more about what you mean by that
0: so whether that's really dividing the population into the types of uh, groups that you're looking at um, or like really looking for those quality improvement specific to uh, children, for instance, or developing really significant measures in your home and community-based services if you're, if you're going uh, beyond the hospital walls into um, other places that people receive services. Uh, uh, really developing those before looking into how you are changing your payment arrangements so that you are measuring correctly for the population that Medicaid serves. And a number of states have taken significant strides in that area.
1: Regarding Medicaid overall, what do you find are the most common misunderstandings? I know that one seems to be that um, people don't often realize that the federal government is even involved. Many people think it's just state. Um, the other is, as we've talked about, just lack of awareness of how common this is as a payer for patients' health care. Other, other common things you run into where you wish people knew more about it?
0: Oh, gosh, I wish I wish everyone knew everything about Medicaid. It would make me so happy. Um, I, I think that understanding how of an efficient health insurance program Medicaid is, and that when we hear the uh, Medicare for all debates going on, they talk talk often about how if we switched everyone to Medicare, uh, we'd save so much money. And, and people forget about how efficiently run um, the Medicaid program is. And it, it might be the sample for uh, others to look to when when trying to design a system that isn't producing additional waste in our healthcare system or um, uh, rewarding bad incentives. Medicaid. Since it's been on a diet of sort of financially for the entire existence of the program, it's found creative ways to uh, maybe appropriately pay for services and reduce excess spending uh, more than any other. Um, also, I think that everyone should understand how wonderful the EPSDP program, that's the Early Periodic Reading Treatment and Diagnosis Program is, it provides services to people under the age of 21, regardless of whether those services are covered by the Medicaid program. So it really is a benefit to children across the country that I, I think is underappreciated how it will allow some of the children who face significant issues further in life if their health needs aren't addressed as children. For example, it could be so simple as needing eyeglasses or um, uh, too, as complicated as a very expensive um, condition for a neonatal child uh, that would have ramifications further on in life. EPSDP often is the the way in which people get those services, and I think it's one of one of our country's greatest achievements is uh, serving serving our children.
1: Before we wrap up, I want to make sure we cover one more important topic. The main reason I actually got on Twitter was because I was enjoying health policy Valentine, <laughs> and, and I understand that you you came up with that. Where 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 do those come from? And we should probably explain what they are.
0: Ah uh, yes. So um, I was on my way home from work one very late, tired February night uh, about oh goodness, uh, uh, 2011 nine years ago. Or so. <laughs> and uh, I, I can't believe it's been going on that long. And I just thought of some puns related to healthcare and tweeted them out with the hashtag health policy valentines um, and put my phone down. And about an hour later, looked at my phone. And at that time, it had gone viral, which there were a few people on Twitter at that time. So it, um, It wasn't that impressive, but it's become a tradition in the health policy space to around Valentine's Day uh, think of clever poems or puns related to health and love. And I think if I've put some love out into the world, I'm glad that it's to the health policy community.
1: No, they're very fun and I really enjoy it. It's just a nice combination of just just humor and, and wonky policy. I think it's great. Dr. Emma Sando, Associate Director of Strategy and Planning at North Carolina Medicaid. Appreciate you coming on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun to chat. ACO Show.
1: show